Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, familiar verses here, verses 16 through 20. Uh, We're going to take a one-week break from our study in the book of Genesis to think about uh, the Great Commission. Here at Trinity, we, uh, we like to say that the mission of the church is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever together. And we do that in three specific ways. We, we do it in worship, discipleship, and missions. And if you think about it, the Great Commission entails all three of those things just in reverse. God sends us out as a church on mission to make disciples so that the nations would gather before his throne and worship him. The Great Commission is the mission of the church. And so to keep front and center what Jesus wants us to keep front and center, for one Sunday we're going to consider the Great Commission, but I also want to take today as an opportunity to let you know about a a practical step that our church has recently taken to focus on carrying out the Great Commission. Recently we have established a missions and outreach committee because we're Presbyterians and that's what we do. We establish committees. Um, But in all seriousness, it's, I think, one of the most important things our church has done in recent years. Uh, the, The purpose of this committee is to equip and encourage this congregation to participate in the Great Commission locally, nationally, and and worldwide. Uh, The vision of the Missions and Outreach Committee is to to mobilize the saints and the resources of this church to support the work of reaching the world for Christ. So to put put it simply, the Missions and Outreach Committee exists in order to encourage us to, challenge us to, and equip us for the carrying out of the Great Commission. And it's to the Great Commission that we turn our attention today. But before we do that, let's pray and ask for God's help. Lord, uh, grant us uh, a renewed and real sense that this is the very Word of God opened up before us this morning, the inspired Word of God that is living and active, that cuts to the innermost parts of our being. So Lord, speak to us today and enable us to hear. Uh, Guard us perhaps from assumed over-familiarity with these verses and allow us to hear them afresh. Lord, I pray that today it would be the, the voice of Jesus himself that we hear uh, speaking to us today, we, we know that we come today, many of us, with, with hurts and pains, angers and frustrations, troubles and difficulties. There's, there's so much on our mind and our heart. But we also know that the one thing needful is for all of us to sit together at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. 
So let us hear his voice today and let us obey all that he says to us. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world to seek and to save the lost. He has lived the perfect life that Adam failed to live, and he has died the sin-bearing death that no other man or woman could. And he's been raised. He's been raised up from the grave, victorious, over, over sin and Satan and death and hell. And now he speaks to these recently restored failures. Because that's what they are. These recently restored failures who not too long ago so tremendously failed the Lord Jesus Christ in the hour of his greatest need. It's to these recently restored failures that Jesus speaks these words. These are his last words, his parting words, the last command he gives while on earth to his disciples. And as we consider them in a larger context here, at least two remarkable things come to my mind. The first remarkable thing that comes to my mind is is the extent to which these early disciples carried out and obeyed the words of the Lord Jesus here. Uh, told, I don't know if you caught it, that that some of these disciples doubted. Did you see that in in verse 17? Some is more than two. So so more than two of these 11 disciples, having, having seen the risen Christ, still had lingering doubts. And this is the group that takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. These 11, and then the, the 122, or 120 we read about in Acts some six weeks later, and then the 3,000 uh, on the day of Pentecost. And, and by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, the gospel has gone from, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth as far as the New Testament is concerned. concerned. It's an astonishing thing when you consider it that in a matter of decades... Gospel fellowships have been established throughout the known world. That's the first remarkable thing that comes to my mind when I consider this commission. The second remarkable thing that comes to my mind is the indifference of many modern Christians when it comes to the Great Commission. We, I mean, ask yourself honestly, how many How many Christians do you know today 
who are obsessed with missions and outreach. And think about that for a minute. We often consider a concern with missions and outreach as a sort of unique spiritual gift instead of a staple mark of every believing life. We think of a concern for missions as unique to a certain set of Christians instead of a chief concern for every follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, here it is. This is Jesus' last command. It's a priority for the church to, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the nations of the world, to see them profess faith and, and be brought in through that initiating sign of belonging to the covenant, baptism, and, and devoted to this lifelong pursuit of learning and observing all that Jesus has taught and commanded his disciples. This is the priority that Jesus entrusts to his church, the commission to go into all the world and make known this good news. What I want to do today as we look at the Great Commission, this might scare you a little bit up front, but it, it won't take that long, I promise. I want to look at 10 features of the Great Commission. So yes, a 10-point sermon. That's what we're, we're going to try to accomplish today, okay? 10 features of the Great Commission. Here's the first thing. It is a divinely empowered commission. You see, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus has all authority. Authority over creation, over history, over men and women, over the nations, over good and evil. He, he claims sovereign authority over it all. He rules and reigns over it all. Every part, every aspect, every facet, every square inch of this created order, there is nothing in all of creation over which Jesus Christ does not exercise sovereign authority. And Matthew began his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus, and he, traces, he traced Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Abraham. And you remember, connected to Abraham is that wonderful promise that through Abraham's seed, the nations of the world would be blessed. And Galatians tells us that Jesus Christ is that promised seed of Abraham. Jesus will bring blessing to the nations of the world. But how, how is that going to happen in places like the Sudan, in Iran, in, in, in North Korea, in, in places that are increasingly hostile to the gospel, like the, like the times in which we find ourselves in an increasingly secular society that is less and less tolerant to the truth claims of the Christian faith. How is Jesus going to be a blessing to those people? 
And the answer here is that because it's, it's because Jesus is sovereign. Because Jesus has all authority. So, so you see, Jesus begins the Great Commission with a motivation, an encouragement. He's saying, I have all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have conquered sin and death and hell. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. Do you, do you hear the logic of Jesus in what he's saying? The nations are my blood-bought inheritance given to me by my Father. Now go out and gather them in. That's what Jesus is saying here. So it's the sovereignty of King Jesus that guarantees the success of the Great Commission. The commission given to the church can and will be accomplished because Jesus possesses all authority. And so it's a, it's a divinely empowered commission, but secondly, it's also a divinely mandated commission. In other words, it's not a suggestion. Uh, it, it, it's a command given by our Lord. The, the Lord is not suggesting to his church that they might they might consider, you know, if time permits, if inclination allows, that they might go in his name, proclaiming his salvation. He commands his people to go. It's, it's an imperative verb. Go and make disciples of all nations. So one of the things we're meant to understand from the Great Commissions is that missions and outreach as a ministry of the church of Jesus Christ, it, it is not an optional extra. It is a part of the DNA of the church of Jesus Christ. It's not a suggestion that, that we're to entertain. It's a command that we are mandated to obey as a church of Jesus Christ. You know, during the, during the Reformation, uh, the Reformers uh, would speak about uh, three marks, three primary marks of a true church. And they'd say, where you see these three characteristics, there you have a genuine gospel church, where, where the word is faithfully preached and, and rightly heard, where the sacraments of the gospel are administered according to the word of Christ, and where church discipline is faithfully exercised there you have a genuine church of Jesus Christ, the reformers said. I wonder though, I wonder if we might add a fourth mark. Because is it, is it conceivable really to have a, have a church where the, the word is preached and rightly heard and to have a church that is not concerned about missions and outreach? Is it, is it possible to have a true, genuine gospel church that is not giving itself to the work of making Christ known to a world that is headed to eternal oblivion? And so it's a divinely mandated commission. And the third thing here, it's a deeply daunting commission. Jesus is summoning these men to go into the world. They, they must have heard these words and, 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 and at least entertain the question, who is he speaking to? I mean, is he, is, he really, is he really speaking 
to us. You can imagine guys like Peter and John looking at each other. Can you really think that we who just dismally failed him and, and denied him, that we should be his ambassadors to a lost and dying world? Maybe men like Peter thought, I'm just a fisherman. Who, who am I? How, how can I ever be sufficient for this work? And, and the reality is, in and of himself, he, he never would be. You know, friends, as, as we think about you know, mission works that we might support as a church, maybe here's one of the things we, we ought to be on the lookout for. Men and women who are deeply aware of their own insufficiency to carry out this deeply daunting task, to go to all the world and make Jesus Christ known. In relation to that, fourthly, it's an inevitably costly commission. Go into the world, the world that hates me, the world that, that shakes its collective fist against God, the peoples who plot in vain against the Lord, the people who despise him. Jesus is saying, go to them, and it's going to be costly. You know, John was banished to Patmos. Peter were, I think, more than likely rightly told that he was crucified upside down on a cross in Rome. And, and throughout history, friends, the people of God have experienced the cost of being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ here on this planet. The reality is the times in which we find ourselves in, we may not be looking uh, on the horizon immediately at physical persecution. But my friends, the, the times in which we, we live in, unless God sovereignly intervenes, we are certainly looking at increasing persecution against the church of Jesus Christ as she bears witness to the gospel to a lost and dying world. And all I want to say as we think about that is, here, here's how we should respond to that. We, we should count that as one of the greatest honors and privileges of our lives. What an honor it would be to suffer for the suffering Redeemer's sake, to have fellowship in his sufferings. It's a costly commission. But then fifthly, it's a profoundly Trinitarian commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the triune God, if I can speak this way, that is utterly committed in, in mind and heart and utterly resolved to see the Great Commission carried out. To see men and women and boys and girls pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and, and brought into the kingdom of God's Son to become, to become worshipers of the true and living God. Because that is the end of the Great Commission, dear friends. One of the things I, I think I ought to say is if we're ever going to rightly understand the Great Commission, 
then we need to understand that the reason missions and evangelism exists is because God is seeking worshipers. That's what missions is about. Not merely the salvation of sinners, as good and gracious as that is, but the fact that God is seeking worshipers. I wonder if you've ever had the courage to say this to somebody who maybe someone has said to you, you know, why, why should I come to church? Why should I go to Trinity? Why should I believe in Christ? I think our first inclination might be to say something like, because he will save you from judgment. He will save you from hell. And that's a perfectly reasonable answer, but it's not the answer. The answer is, to the question, why should I come to church? Why should I believe in Jesus? The answer ought to be because by the grace of God, you might become a worshiper of the living and true God. Do you see how that puts God in his, in his proper place? That's what you were made for. That is the highest purpose of your existence and you will not find Rest until you find rest in the worship of God. Here's the sixth thing. This is the only technical or big word I think I'll use. It's an ecclesiastical commission. In other words, it's, it's a commission given to the church. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the triune God. What's, what's our goal in missions, whether, whether it be in Eastern Europe or Western Africa or Asia or South America or in Johnstown? It is, it is not just to see people brought to faith in Christ, but to see living communities of disciples joined together as the body of Christ giving praise to God together. My friends, we, we de-emphasize in our day what the New Testament emphasizes and, and raises up before our eyes. Remember the day of Pentecost when, when the people were cut to, to the heart and they asked the question, what shall we do? And Peter said, he said, repent and be baptized. Receive that initiating sign of being brought into the covenant community of God's people. And you know what, what, what comes next in Acts chapter 2? The very next thing that we're told is that these 3,000 souls who were baptized devoted themselves together to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and prayers. They understood that the Christian life was to be lived in community and communion. You see, we are, we are saved to belong, to, to immerse ourselves into the life and the fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ, to live as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the, the family of God on earth as it is in heaven, to, to, to be one in Christ and to manifest that unity in tangible, visible way, in, in, in a congregational way. Missions is about God planting and establishing and growing gospel fellowships. 
This is an interesting, I, this is an aside that's just coming to my mind in Sunday school. We didn't talk about this at all, but the men are looking at Philippians. And, and Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he addresses the saints and the overseers and the deacons, the elders and the deacons, along with all the saints. This is, this is the goal of missions to see Churches established, gathered together, worshiping, discipling communities uh, together. Seventh, seventh, it's, it's an implicitly unique commission. You know, I think this is the one above all others that, that will stagger and frustrate and, and, and even cause the world to, to hate Christians. Because Jesus is self-consciously Proclaiming himself as the one Savior and Lord of the nations. He's not one among many. He doesn't belong to a pantheon of gods. He's not one option among others. He is the unique sole redeemer of God's people. Given by God for the salvation of sinners. You see, and this is, this is the unique, scandalous message that Jesus commissions his church, that we are commissioned to take to the world. There, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other than Jesus is, uh, lived a righteous life. No one other than Jesus lived or, or died a, a sin-atoning death. None other but Christ alone. And this is the message we're commissioned to proclaim. And my friends, if need be, die proclaiming. The Lord Jesus Christ is alone the one given by God for the salvation of the world. It's a unique commission. And then eighth, it's a biblically comprehensive commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What a, what a job description. There's nothing minimalist here. We're not to simply pass along a principle or two to, uh, to, to seekers or new converts. What, what does Jesus say that we are to teach new converts? The whole counsel of God. All that Jesus has, has taught and commanded. The, the, the entirety of the revelation given by God to, to men. The living and active word of God. We're to teach all of it. And not just simply offer little bits of gospel truths. Things that might seem appealing to an unbelieving world. But the whole gospel. And so what Jesus is commissioning the church to do is to to take hold of the hands of of new converts with the help of God and together sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. I lied about not using any big words because Jesus is calling the church here to a didactic, catechetical, instructional ministry. My friends, it, that might be counter to our culture today, but the word of Christ always trumps the culture. 
And Jesus is telling us that part of the Great Commission means setting forth, training disciples, after making disciples, setting before them all that Jesus has taught and commanded. Please don't don't ever use the phrase, that person is preachy. Okay, that, that should be a curse word. You, you want your teachers to be preachy. I know what people mean by that. But the church is called to a preaching, teaching ministry. Because we understand it is the word of God that we live by. Do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Ninth, it's a comforting commission, isn't it? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What what a glorious comfort that must have been to these men who had failed Jesus so tremendously. As they listened to the command, I, I, they must have been thinking, how, how on earth can, again, how, how, how can we who failed him so badly be used by him now to take this message to the ends of the earth? And the answer that comes to them is, behold, I am with you always. You see, Jesus Christ by his spirit is the great power and enabler and strengthener and comforter and encourager and presence and guide to all who go forth in his name. And and he delights to draw near to us in our weakness so that the power of God might be made manifest. You see, it it is the presence of the sovereign Christ that encourages us and supports us and enables us in the carrying out of the Great Commission. Finally, it's, it's an unimaginably privileged commission. Privileged commission. Because if we were honest with ourselves, we all have to say that Jesus could get on just fine without us. He certainly doesn't need a bumbling, stumbling preacher like me, and he doesn't need you to carry out the Great Commission. We are expendable, dear friends. He could fulfill the Great Commission without using human means if he wanted to. But the the Lord of glory, the sovereign king of the universe, is pleased to use people like you and me to bring and gather to himself, the nations of this world, to bring peoples to Mount Zion, to join with the hosts of heaven in giving praise to the king. I don't think Paul ever recovered from the wonder of that. In Ephesians, listen to this, he says, to me, who is less than the least of the saints. Actually, literally in Greek, he calls himself the leastest which isn't even proper grammar, but that's what he says, literally. I am the leastest among the saints. To me, this grace has been given to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, surely there's a unique dimension to this as Paul is speaking as an apostle. But he, you see, he was overwhelmed at the sheer wonder 
that God would call someone like Paul, the former persecutor of Christians, to now go forth and proclaim the Christian message. And do you see what he called that? He called that a grace. Uh, to be able to, to go forth and serve as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Every Christian is called by God to be a witness bearer to the Lord Jesus Christ in some capacity. Wherever God has placed us, we are his, his witnesses. And so may God's grace equip us to be found faithful in such a high calling to make known to the nations of this earth that there is, only, there is one true and living God and he is a God of infinite, unfathomable grace. And may we never, ever, dear friends, let's commit to this together today. May we never, ever be a church that merely pays lip service to missions and evangelism. But let's be a, a church that recognizes this is what Jesus calls us to. This is something Jesus calls us to sacrifice our time and resources and energies and to give our prayers to this great commission which has as its end the praise and glory and worship of our triune God through the sending out of the people of Christ to make disciples of Christ so that they too might join with us and give thanks and praise to the God of grace. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for, thank you for this word, um, a word that is uh, both challenging and encouraging and also convicting uh, all at the same time. Lord, we ask now for the grace to carry it out faithfully. Thank you for the ways you have already used Trinity in years past to fulfill your great commission here locally and around the world. And we pray that you would increase our usefulness, increase our faithfulness to this mandate that our Lord and Savior has given to us. Lord, uh, we pray that you would tear down barriers and open up doors for the gospel here in Johnstown and around the world so that we would see the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ advance. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.